Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Evening, Bob. Evening, Ken. I'll be two minutes with the barrel. Footsteps then to the cellar. Dust rising in pillars of sunlight. Stillness all. Still. 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 In the moon underwater. Well, should I say, what a dusk I've had. Mm. How, how's your dusk been? Well, not good. And I can explain why with one word. Go on. Poachers. Oh, poachers in the dusk, dusky wood. Well, not just poachers in the dusky wood, poachers of the dusk itself. <laughs> right. Yes, I caught them out there with their nets and their bottles, trying to secure for themselves a few litres of dusk. Uh, to take away and sell on the black market. And the price is rocketing. So, you know, I can understand why they're doing it. But um, it's against the law. And, you know, there's a shortage of dusk. Why does poach mean to, to steal and to kind of cook in water? I don't think we'll ever know. But that's what, not what they were doing with the dust. They weren't kind of cooking the dust. No, they weren't adding uh, vinegar to water, swelling it in a pan, and then trying to heat the dusk around them. No, they were, they were capturing... You don't have to just poach eggs, John. There's other things you can poach. Chicken? Yeah. Fish? Different eggs. Different eggs. Uh, but have you ever been offered dusk on the black market, Robin? I have, actually, yeah. On the dark web, I've bought some dusk. I must say that I have seen in the, in the cracks in your doors little hints of violet, little hints of purple, uh, little hints of peach coming at undusky hours. Well, when it's a, when it, on a blazing hot summer's day... I like to um, lie back on, on, on my bed in my underpants and crack open the dusk. Mm. Just to get that dusky feeling. To get a bit of cool dusk uh, in the midst of a heat wave. What do you think of gloaming? You what? What do you think of the gloaming? I like the gloaming. It's one of my favourite parts of the whole season. What's the difference between gloaming and dusk? Oh, you're full of questions today, aren't you? Poaching and poaching, gloaming and dusk. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, I showed them what for, and uh, I very much doubt they'll be back at least before Whitson. But anyway, here we are in the moon underwater in what I must say is an absolutely blissful dusk. The peach pink lilacs have golden hues to them, and I'm delighted that uh, it looks like this for our guest, who, Robin, may be able to answer some of your questions because they are hashtag packed with facts. And uh, through the dusk now, I can see them emerging through the pinks, the lilacs, the peaches, and into the moon underwater where they're going to kit out their dream pub. It's Andrew Hunter-Murray. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Hello. Welcome, welcome to the moon underwater. Please pull up a pew of your own choice. Oh, fab. Can I tell you the pew? Yeah, Ooh. you manifest it. Oh, gosh. Okay, right. Well, I'd like a, 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 an extremely comfortably uncomfortable high-backed leather chair one that's very old i think I, i'm trying to sort of describe the thing that you kind of get in old libraries and old country houses and you know they're built to last they're not built for comfort they'll be around long after you they're sort of they look a bit like a small leather chair that's being dragged through a black hole yeah exactly yeah so they're, they're <laughs> sort of they're being stretched out are we talking lumpy with springs and Ooh, stuffing yeah. coming out? Yes, please. Yes. There's a library I go to sometimes in, in the centre of London, which has this little semicircle of red leather armchairs. And they are, they're incredibly soporific things. You know, you sit in one and you just fall asleep immediately. It's, it's wonderful. Andrew, you are a QI elf. Yes, you are a voice known to millions from uh, No Such Thing as a Fish. Has anyone ever coined the phrase quelf for what you do? Oh, I don't think they have. I think that's box fresh. Ah, um, good. It just saves a bit of time. Absolutely. It sounds quite anatomical, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds a bit rude. It does. I don't mind that. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so Andrew is a quelf. <laughs> Andrew has quelfed. Oh, dear. Hmm. Sorry. And... Is part of one of the most uh, popular podcasts, the most successful podcast in the history of podcasts. And I'm hoping, Andrew, you may be able to furnish us with some incredible pub facts or booze facts. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll give it a go. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about what we've covered on, on Fish that is pub related. And we did, I mean, ages and ages ago probably about seven years ago, sort of some terrifying amount of time ago, we talked about Karl Marx doing early pub crawls. Uh, early on in his career. Mm. And you might have covered that already. No, no, we're not that highbrow. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, in London. And there are, I mean, there are various blue plaques around for him in um, places like Soho and things like that. And he did pub crawls on um, the Tottenham Court Road. I think maybe with Engels, I think the two authors of the Communist Manifesto, and I, I think Marx did 18 pubs once uh, going up and down Tottenham Court Road um and then got into a fight and started throwing cobbles at people and um wow yeah so there is pedigree to what you're doing mm. and the, i'm from wimbledon which is the home of the oliver reed pub crawl which is i think it's eight pubs and it's it's where oliver reed would go drinking regularly in all of those pubs and i think once he went with steve mcqueen and they managed two complete loops before one of them threw up on the other one i can't remember <laughs> which way around it was i've been to the pub oliver reed died in in malta have you? Yeah. In Malta? Was that when they were filming Gladiator? Yeah, I believe so. Oh. They keep the chair kind of, you know, you can't sit on it. What were you doing in Malta? Just went on holiday. Did you really? Yeah. Were you? When? 2009. Did you? Yeah. I don't remember you telling me. 
<laughs> I think I would have remembered 14 years ago if you'd been to Malta, Robin. Are you sure you didn't dream this? They drive on the left as well, though. So anyway. Comforting, yeah. They've still got a branch of mother care. They, I went to Malta a few years ago, and they've got, they've got, well, like all these kind of slightly colonial, you know, tinged, you know, places that we think of as kind of outposts. There are all these like shadow brands that hang on. It's kind of like on an island you get a species which has long gone extinct on the mainland, and mother care in Malta is one oh, of them. Have they got a BHS? That's what I'd like to know. I bet they have. I bet they've still got a Woolies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what are the pubs like? Are, are any of those pubs still existing now? The uh, Oliver Reed Wimbledon pub crawl. Oh my God, all of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I think every single one is still open and trading. Um, there's the Fox and Grapes. There's the Rose and Crown. I mean, they, they, none of the names are terribly exciting, original, innovative pub names. You know, they're, they're good, Wimbledon-y, <laughs> quite safe pub names. I mean... The sort of the idea of the 70s and 80s Hellraiser seems a very distant one now. And in many ways, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. But I wonder if it was the camera phone and social media that put pay to that. Or was it just the nature of fame itself? You wouldn't be able to get a movie star kind of staggering around Soho. (laughs) It would be unthinkable now. And yet lots of people who are around London in the... 70s and 80s will have sort of have a story about someone like Oliver Reed or George Best or someone like that. There's a kind of general trend of professionalisation in all sorts of industries which I don't like at all and especially the acting profession which should be the home of, I feel this way a bit about sport as well, I feel like the early you know, tours to France and the early marathons were very funny because everyone had no real idea what they were doing and they were eating lots and lots and lots of mints just before they started. Or, you know, and there's there's something which is a bit lost. It's kind of like that thing of um, heroes in films used to look roughly like your dad, mm. you know? Mm. Your dad in slightly better nick. James Stewart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, James Stewart just looked like a, a guy. He's just a guy. A guy in his late 50s. Yeah. There is something a bit oppressive about all the forearms these days. And they are, it is, it, it, it is, you know, it's an arms race. It literally is an arms race. But I just think maybe just that behaviour is just slightly less cool now. Yeah. It definitely is. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. I, I think, I've just read a really good book about Paul McCartney. And it's so interesting how in the 70s, Paul McCartney was sort of irredeemably naff. Mm. Whereas John Lennon was this kind of, you know, the cool rock star having his lost weekend or whatever. But now... The tables have turned to the extent that I think Lennon looks quite naff in the 70s with the kind of political posturing, Mm. whereas McCartney writing brilliant albums about how great family is and living on a farm is actually a lot cooler. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. Andrew, before we get to work on your pub... I think you might be one of the people to ask about my favourite literary genre, which is the cosy catastrophe. Ah... Oh, I'm so glad, yes. Your book, The Last Day, from what I gather, is right up my strasse. And you've got another book due out in June called The Sanctuary. Yes. So can I paint you a scenario and you tell me, because you will know more than I do, 
what books I should have read. Ooh, okay. Cozy Catastrophe. Well, there's there's something quite 50s about them. A lot of them are about basically awful things happening to nice middle-class people. And uh, there's a kind of sense throughout these books that this sort of thing really shouldn't be happening to people like us, you know? There's a bit of that in it, but some of the most, you know, innovative and brilliant sci-fi falls into that category i think it's used as a bit of an insult term is it really i think it is it's i think it was it's one of those things that was originally used in a review like oh this is a here here's another cozy catastrophe like a bit kind of beneath us um which i don't think is fair because i think it's one of the phrases that can be taken on by the people practicing it and you know used as a force for good but so i mean i'm sure you'd have read uh, lots of john wyndham because he was the kind of magnificent arch practitioner of it the Day of the Triffids is, I think, the archetypal cosy catastrophe, or the Omega Man. Yeah. Um, which was made in, there was the film was with Charlton Heston, and then it was remade into I Am Legend. And the classic situation would be something terrible has happened. Our hero manages to find some kind of sanctuary where ideally he will have access to very, very old brandy. which is sort of would would cost thousands of pounds he's got a he's got the mona lisa hanging behind him because he sort of stole it from the louvre on the way yeah or or you join him at a point to which he's collected so many wonderful things that he's actually living a life of extraordinary luxury whilst outside zombies or vampires or a terrible sort of virus spreads yeah there's a bit in the film of i am legend where he's practicing his golf shots off the deck of a a crashed aircraft carrier. Yeah. And he's got a great view and he loves his golf. And there's a kind yeah, there is that kind of thing about it. Exactly. I didn't even know this was a a genre before. I mean, I've heard of cosy crime, but cosy, cosy catastrophe. So what, what, why are you, why does that appeal to you so much, John? There's all the thrill and disaster and imagining of like post-apocalyptic worlds. Mm. But there's also that sort of fantasy of isolation and luxury but not necessarily luxury, like the bit in the road where they go into the bunker that's just full of tins. Oh, yeah. And they close the door, and it's got it's like almost like a submarine lock on this door. This is in the film. And there is that wonderful sense of sort of warmth and comfort that you would get from finding shelter. I guess it's essentially about shelter. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's saying that the world is a, is a very scary place, and there's a kind of fantasy in retreating to a, a safe, small cabin or capsule or cave, whatever it is, that's well stocked and you can kind of ride out the storm. I think there's a reason that those books became so popular in the 50s was the world was recovering from this shattering war. And also um, the new th- th- threat of nuclear war was on the horizon and people were struggling to, to adapt to it. And that sort of fantasy comes in part from there. So I think it, I think it does mirror, you know, the overall level of fear in society. And does that, that feature in The Last Day and will it feature in the potentially appropriately named Sanctuary? Well, it does. I mean, it really does. So the 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 sanctuary is about it's about this guy who um, he's an ordinary guy living in London. It's it's near here and near now, but you're not quite sure. It's a slightly mysterious, broken version of this country. And his fiance for six months has been on an island called Sanctuary Rock, which is off the coast up north. And at the start of the story, she writes and she says, "I'm not coming back. I'm staying here on this beautiful, perfect island." The guy who owns it is building a wonderful new society here, and I'm part of it. And our hero, Ben, he thinks, well, I'm going to go. I'm just going to go. I want to see her again. I want to talk to her. I want to try and reason with her. I don't like or trust this guy. 
and he goes to see this perfect place, you know, where a new world is being born. There's a kind of fantasy in that too, the idea that you can let go of everything that's broken and rubbish about the old world, and you can, with a little bit of capital backing from the wealthiest man in the world, construct something new and good and wholesome. And that's the story, is he goes to the island and, and, and he finds out what he finds out. Hmm. There's a very good novel by John Burnside called, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's either Havagay or Havagee. I don't know that. Which is a similar sort of tale of a, a society some years after some big event. And also, there's a really good short story in Josie Long's new book on that topic as well, of sort of a, a sort of more agrarian commune society right. relationships uh, within that. That's a, I mean, while we're on books, the Dorian Lidsky book about 1984 that came out a couple of years ago, maybe Ooh. two years ago, that starts with basically a history of utopian, dystopian fiction. Mm. It's really, really interesting because it was such a trend in the early 20th century. Like some H.G. Wells things and looking backward was another big one. It was very big in America, this idea of kind of utopian stuff at the turn of the century strong strain of that i think in the american psyche is mm. let's just keep going west we'll find yeah, something new yeah, we'll make yeah. it better well what better setting for a post-apocalyptic cozy catastrophe than a pub with a <laughs> cellar <laughs> look forward to hearing what you are going to uh, include in your dream pub but um, Andrew Hunter Murray and pubs pubs and andrew hunter murray discuss i love pubs i don't go as much as i'd like when I look back at the last couple of years, I think I won't spend enough time in the pub. I used to spend a lot of my time in the pub. I think maybe that's a, a common thing when you're in your 20s and you're, you're, or you're student-y. But yeah, I did my first pub quiz last week in about 10 years. And it was so good. I just thought, what the hell have I been doing? Why have I been missing pub quizzes for 10 years? I could have won once by now <laughs> in that 10 years if I'd really put my back into it. What was the pub and do you remember any questions from the quiz? <laughs> it was called the Westo in South London, the Westo Arms, and uh, yeah, I do the qu- <laughs> the question. <laughs> this is the tiebreaker, and we lost, so it really stings. The question was: What's the world record for the most boiled eggs swallowed and regurgitated in one minute? Oh, good grief! You can each have a guess, and whoever gets closer, is it the same egg? Do you know the quiz master was actually quite vague on the details here? I think they're shelled, but I think it's different eggs. And is it whole, or are they chewing it and then throwing it up? No, they're whole. I think it's a whole egg to be swallowed and then brought back up again. Down, up, down, up, down, up for a minute. I'd go somewhere in the region of 20. I've got 21. Ooh. Okay. It's probably loads, isn't it? It's probably like 60 or something. Hang on, I'm just actually getting the answer. <laughs> is this, oh, so this is the QI elf in action. <laughs> yeah. It's a furious yeah, sound yeah, yeah. of typing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, hang on. So can you give me your answers again? I was 20. And I went 21. Robin said 20 and John said 21. Bit of gamesmanship, I think, going quite so close to each other. John has it. Mm. It's 25. You're both very close. Wow. What did you guess? 43. Oh! <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're so off. I saw a world record recently, which was so, like, disappointing, but quite horrifying. It's the world record for the most aluminium cans, like Coke cans, torn in half with the mouth. Ugh. Ugh. And it was just this sort of, this European-like strongman in a gym, just ripping cans apart with his mouth. But... The thing was, they hadn't been fully emptied. There was just sort of stuff coming out of them. 
And he stopped at like 54 seconds with cans left on the table. Yeah. And it was the record for most in a minute. But he did sort of cut all this face up. It was quite bad. And the record was something quite poor, like about 11. <laughs> it felt like one of those records that had been invented by the first person that did it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of them are these days. Mm-hmm. I remember once on the Big Breakfast in the 90s, <laughs> there was a guy who was trying to do the world record for kind of flipping beer mats from your elbow and catching them. Oh, yeah. I just remember it being very funny because Johnny Vaughan, he found this guy quite ridiculous because the guy kept talking to the beer mats. <laughs> Come on, talk to me, talk to me. Like this. Uh, it was it was, a, it was a great moment. I've got a fact about the most beer mats flipped and caught with one hand. Go on. It's that the record is held by a guy. You're not going to believe it, what? but it is true. Yeah. The record for the most beer mats flipped and caught in one hand is held by a guy called Matt Hand. Matt. No. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. Maybe it was Matt Hand on the big breakfast back in the day. Might have been. Yeah. yeah. That's a great fact. Matt. I know. <laughs> Tominative denominatism. Yeah. <laughs> so, what would you be basing your dream pub on? Are there any pubs that loom large in the memory from when you were younger or university? Yeah, I think probably early pubs. Like early pubs that that you do some of your formative evenings in chatting and drinking and having a great time. So so when I was a student, there was, um, there was a pub in Oxford called the Turf Tavern, mm. which is really nice. And it's weirdly inaccessible. You have to get there down one of two quite narrow alleys. So it's, I think it's quite probably quite hard to resupply and it's a complete pain, actually. But there's something about it. The first time you go in, you've, it feels like, well... It, it feels like a pleasant surprise at the other end, you know. It's a kind of sit a little secret thing. Without that kind of, I think, slightly cringe, speakeasy element, it's just, like, genuinely quite an inaccessible pub. Where Bill Clinton famously didn't inhale, right? That's, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but he did drink a yard of ale. Wow. Oh. Yeah. They used to have a picture of him on the wall and a picture of one of the Aussie prime ministers. Or maybe it's him who broke a record for drinking a yard of ale. One of the again, you wouldn't get Aussie PM. I oh know you probably would get an Aussie PM breaking an ale Absolutely yard drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you actually have to do that before you can become <laughs> Prime Minister of Australia. Well, yeah. Robin and I uh, both went to Oxford, so we will have a very shared knowledge of those wonderful, wonderful pubs. So you were a turf guy, were you? Yeah, I mean there are a few like there's the King's Arms and there's the Royal Oak. You know, a bit further up. Um, is it Woodstock Road? Mm. Those are lovely. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's there is something I I don't know. There's a, there's something I tap into, which is this very they're very cozy, warm. They're all quite green, which I think is an element of pubs that you know they've got lots of outdoor space and it's all kind of overgrown and hanging with trellises. And there's something quite shady and nice about them. And yeah, I think that might be one of the reasons why they're so good yeah the turf is good for being so hidden away I, I i remember having a pint of green beer in in the turf Ooh. do you remember do you sometimes breweries do like these special beers that are green god no i've never seen that it's good stuff that's something they do quite a lot in america on st patrick's day isn't it like every, basically every possible thing you could want to consume there's a green version of it yeah <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's start off with your two draft options, please, Andrew. Okay, now, I'm in a bit of a pickle here. Mm -hmm. I don't really drink beer. That's not a problem. Okay. But it, what it does mean is that I'm incredibly ill-informed about the kinds that are typically on offer. Five times I've ever had a full pint of beer was a Doom Bar, and it was very nice. Wow. You, you think yeah. you've only had about five pints in your life? Yeah. Jeez. Like proper like proper pints in a proper pint glass, yeah. You're allowed other things that exist on draft, though. You can get, for example, espresso martinis on draft. You can get porn star martinis on draft. You can get uh, wine on draft, cider on draft. What else can you get on draft, Robin? You've got your Coke gun. <laughs> your Coke gun. <laughs> the, fer- like the, the kind of, but the flavour is specifically the kind of Coke you get on a ferry. That's yeah. very important. Yeah. Like yeah. So, but can we just? So, is the beer thing because you don't you don't like the taste, or it's too much too much liquid, or you just don't like how it makes you feel? Just, just don't um don't really like the don't really like the taste. Fair it's enough. so boring. It's no. so boring. But you enjoyed the Doom Bar. I did like it actually. Yeah. Didn't make you think I want to drink another thousand of those pints <laughs> a year. No, for some reason, it didn't quite catch. There was probably like a hinge moment towards the end of that pint where I was thinking actually that was really nice I could do another one of those and then I'm in the universe where I didn't but the other guy probably Uh. is much more knowledgeable and is having a much nicer time in all sorts of ways Um, he's probably done a pub quiz in the last 10 years well you you say that I don't know (laughs) yeah I mean we're in the universe where you did, and uh, you, you don't need you don't need a huge amount of knowledge uh, to keep on quaffing them down. So, are you, are you happy with Doombar as one of your choices? Oh well, I thought it was two draft beers. I mean, if we if we draft anything, I think it would be I think it would be good to have one beer. Okay. You know, yeah. I think that is nice. Yeah, yeah. But if we're having draft anything, I would like to have a draft of some. I mean, a, oh, do you know what's nice? If we, if we're allowed some wines on draft, there's a kind of wine which is called a um, it's a white wine. It's a, oh yeah, Pickpool. Mm. Oh no 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 no! A um, no, it is a pick pool. It's the one that's very slightly. No, it's not. It's the Vigna Verdi. Oh, that's you're thinking of chin chins, are you? Oh, am I? Is that that's the the, the uh, is it slightly green? Yeah, Vigna Verdi is a, a a type of wine quite popular. Yeah, we were just yeah. discussing about it on the 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 Real Housewives of Clapton Instagram page. That's <laughs> it's, it's kind of quite a quite it gets a lot of mileage there, along with Pirello olives. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
I'm learning a lot. It is very trendy, and it's ve- it's it's so slightly sparkling that you can't really tell. It's really good. There's something about it. It's delicious. But that's we we, could, we couldn't really let you have that on draft. I don't think though. No, no. I think it would have to be the sort of wine that you would get on draft. I very much doubt oh. Vina Verdi has ever been available on draft. I mean, a draft wine. We're talking about your Blossom Hills. <laughs> we're talking about your Echo Falls. <laughs> Unless they did a box of, I guess that's yeah. technically draft, isn't it? Okay, d- distraction time. Do you know a cool fact about boxes of wine? This is something, again, we did this on the podcast about eight years ago, so I, I genuinely can't remember it very well. But I think it's that they don't transport wine in the bottle. That'd be insane. It's all because you, you'd just be transporting glass around the world forever. It'd be exhausting and expensive and blah, blah, blah. So they bring it over in giant wine bags, box bags, you know, enormous super tanker size wine bags are shipped around the world if you get an Australian or a New Zealand wine that's what it gets to the UK in and um, they have this huge process by which they decant it and then I think those massive bags are turned into traffic cones really? yeah because oh, really? it's just all old industrial plastic and so they found a great use for it And so next time you see a traffic cone that could have been a, a big wine bag that's great, the circle of life yeah, yeah if you saw it on a uh, student's head <laughs> mm, it could be a Complete circle. I'm going to say we can't have Vina Verdi on draft. I can't find an example of them being available on draft or in a box. I think that's fair. My tastes are not very advanced. Vina Verdi makes it sound like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm knowledgeable about wine. I'd accept a Jacob's Creek. Now that I can do. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, is this a white wine? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> do Bar and Jacobs Creek are the wow. two draft options. <laughs> that's great. I mean, you must get that combination all the time. Yeah, we all make our own reality. So, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we maybe have not had draft wine before, or certainly only one or two times. But Jacobs Creek, you can definitely get on draft somewhere. Are we going to get a pub where I don't ever have either of the two options on draft? <laughs> <laughs> I went to the pub. Had a drink with my friend. It was really nice. The pub was called The Moon Underwater. We move now onto perhaps slightly safer territory with bottles and or cans. Okay. These can be of anything that would or could or has appeared in a bottle or a can. But I presume you're excluding the kind of, um, you know, like um, the the baked beans which come with bits of sausages in, which do come with a, in a can. If that's what you want, no, it's available. not. It's not. It's absolutely not. No, no, no. I take it all back. <laughs> God, it's like being with the genie. Yeah, I can understand why people yeah, yeah, muff yeah. up their wishes so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've ended up with with Doombar and Jacobs Creek already. That's a powerful warning to future me. Okay, okay. Okay, I'm going to get the bottles right. I'm going to nail them. All right. Here's the thing. I'd love in a bottle. It's a beer, and actually, okay, here's a beer that I've had quite a few of. It's a Fruly. Mm. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Nice, yeah. Lovely fruit beer. Mm. Which one? I think there's raspberry or peach, maybe. Is there a cherry one? I don't know. Oh, there's a cherry one. Yeah. Ch- yeah. It, ah, cherry. Yeah. Or a creek is the other name for it, isn't it? That's a cherry. Yes, beer. that's it. And they're these lovely, they're all quite low countries, aren't they? They're all Belgian and Netherlandish. Uh, yeah, I'll go for a, a bottle of Fruly at that I'll never tire of that. The, the cherry one specifically, Creek. Yeah, yeah. Nice. really like that. It's very drinkable. Yeah, and they're quite summery as well. And there's just something, there's something so relaxing about them. Yeah, it really is a moment of kind of ah, 
the winter has passed. The fruity has returned. It's just, it's really, <laughs> it's very evocative for me. Would that be your go-to in a pub then? Do you know what? I do feel like, um, you know, sometimes you get an actor who sorts out their, like, their acting hairstyle. And you can sometimes see the film in which they actually nail the acting hairstyle and they just stick with that. Like early Arnold Schwarzenegger films, he's not worked out his hair. Mm. And then there's a moment where it clicks in and you think, right, you're going to have a great career now. I feel like in many ways I haven't sorted out my my drink. Right. You know? Yeah. Because there are loads of things I love to drink, but there's not one obvious option. And the, one that, the, the ones that I really like are often not available. I like a lot of sour beers too, but you have to go to quite specific places. You know, like lots, lots of places up and down Bermondsey will do that, that kind of thing for you. So it seems like you like quite kind of strong, distinctive flavours then with fruit beers and sour beers. Then. I guess I'm just a maverick. <laughs> You're just a maverick with Jacob's Creek white wine on track. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Um, do you get I did, do you get sour beer in bottles? Not really. You certainly do. Oh, do you? Yeah, and cans. Oh well, I'll go for a, ca- a can of something something sour then. Yeah. Oh, it's a huge market now. There's loads of them. I feel like maybe we shouldn't actually tell you about all these things because it could mean that you <laughs> end up drinking far much more than you would in 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 what strikes me as a slightly sheltered knowledge of the alcohol world. <laughs> yeah, your Wikipedia page there's going to be a heading appearance on moon underwater and, ste- and steady decline. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I think well, it's weird. I do I mean I'm giving the impression of so, you're right, someone who's led a very very sheltered life and um I think that's probably a true impression. Do you have a, a favorite sour beer? Uh, I don't normally it's because I'm a, I've gone to a, a like a, a friend's thing or a friend has wanted to go to a, a really nice like a a brewery and I'm, I squint at the blackboard for a while and then I'll say oh that one that's sour is it there's one called is it Berliner Weiss Berliner Weiss is actually a very popular form of sour beer mm. it's a sort of slightly lower ABV type of sour beer but I think it's a okay it's a new newly popular style one mm. do you know what I could throw in a, a little curveball here there is something else that I really love to drink, but it's in a specific context. And this is going to make... Well, it's my pub, isn't it? Yeah. This is this is my pub. All right. There is a drink available in bottles, which is called ice wine. Oh, yes. Now, that's great. Mm. It's a very sweet wine. I've got quite a sweet tooth. And it's um, traditionally, it's made by leaving the grapes on the vine until the frosts come. Ah. And then the grape freezes... So the water gets locked up in the form of ice crystals and all the sugar in the grape gets pushed into the edges. And the idea is that you crush the grape in that form and you just get that concentrated, sweet, slightly gone over grape essence. And that becomes the formation of your ice wine. So it's, mm. a, it's a bit like a dessert wine, really. I love that. I've had a fantastic Canadian ice wine because obviously Ooh. it's slightly counterintuitive because you'd need the sorts of climates where you wouldn't usually be able to grow grapes for regular wine. Is there a specific one you remember or that you remember liking? There is one. I've actually had a bottle of it. <laughs> There's a bottle I've been saving for a celebration since 2008. I've had quite a lot of nice things happen in my life since then, lots of causes for celebration. Everyone I've looked at the ice wine and gone, I can't. <laughs> I don't know what I'm waiting for. I've had like there's been lots of excitement and fun. The last 15 years has not been a wasteland. And I I really want to dispel the impression that it has, which I feel like I'm giving quite strongly. But I've still got this bottle of ice wine waiting for me. I think it's I, I think it might be a Riesling. Do Riesling do ice wines? You can get ice wines that are Rieslings. 
Can I just go and look? Yeah, of course. Can I go and get the bottle and bring it back? Of course you can. <laughs> okay, okay, great. Don't have any Jacob's Creek while I'm gone. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realise Berliner Weisser is actually a, is a type of sour beer. I thought it was actually a brand, but it's a, it's a type. It sounds like a brand, doesn't it? Mm, mm. The Ice Wine Man Cometh. <laughs> um, so this is... This is very classy. This is a Fortnum and Mason ice wine. Mm. Ooh. And it says Weingut Helmut Lang on it. And then it just says Fortnum and Mason. I've had Weingut Helmut Lang wines before, oh, I think. Oh, okay, yeah, it's Helmut Lang. Oh, my God, they've given, they've given it some real stuff on the back. This Riesling ice vine was picked on the 5th of December 2010. A band of 11 hardy souls began picking at 2am when the temperature was minus 7 Celsius. They finished seven hours later. Whoa. And that tells you what it tastes like. And then it says must be consumed within six months. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has taken on a bit of a colour. Yeah. It's looking much more like a sample than yeah. it did when I bought it. I would drink that pretty soon if I were you. Are you meant to drink it cold as well? Oh, yeah. You can serve it with a little bit of uh, just a a kind of a single cube of ice. That's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, Helmut Lang ice wine it is. And uh, get that down your neck, eh, (laughs) Sam? Well, what a journey it's been so far from Doombar to Jacob's Creek. I think we'll go for a Sauvignon Blanc on, uh, on draft. Oh, yeah. Cherry Creek. And Fortnum and Mason's Helmut Lang Ice Wine. Quite a selection there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You said that you'd done your first pub quiz in 10 years yesterday. Well, you're about to do your second because we head over to the lovely Robin Allender for this week's Moon Underwater pub quiz. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. Played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Thanks, John. Welcome to the Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Guide the map, because this week it's a pub quiz of all about the London underground and overground. Three questions about the tube, and the answers will be in part two. So how how do you feel about this, Andrew? Your your tube knowledge knowledge must be pretty good. It's good trivia knowledge. Isn't it's okay. It? It's okay. Right. Let's see. Okay. So question one: Six London underground stations are named after pubs. Can you name them? I think we might have discussed this on the on the, on the, in the Moon Underwater before, but there are six stations named after pubs. Question two: How many London underground stations can you name that contain the word oak? There are three. Or five, if you want to include the London Overground. And there is a crossover station with question one. So a little clue there. Question three. How many London Underground stations can you name that contain the word green? So how many contain the word green? Do you want to know how many there are? Well, yeah, yeah go on then. There is quite a lot. And, you know, I'd be surprised if you got all of them. But there, there are 12. Oh, my God. And 14, if you want to include the London Overground. So there's two that are just London Overground but there are 12 on the underground network. So there you go, three questions about the underground. Well, folks, I don't know about you, but I'm going to need some time to get writing on this. Uh, so we might have 
a couple of minutes. I mean, Andrew's typing away, which yeah. I think would be f- frowned. <laughs> I'm just upon. I'm just writing down the questions. <laughs> right. No, 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 no. I'm just writing down the questions. No, 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 no. So it's six tube stops named after pubs. Yeah, three with oak in the title. So it's three, three with oak, uh, or five if you want to include the overground, and uh, then fourteen up to fourteen with green in the name. Yeah, this is going to take some time. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> But luckily for you folks, you have the gap or the time it takes before you put on part two to uh, get writing. And um, if you would like to hear Andrew Hunter Murray's Dream Pub Companion in part two and also get our bonus podcast behind the cellar door, you can support us on Patreon. Just head to moonunderpod.com and click through to the Patreon link. But we will see you back in part two. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.